So, as I said, just those words, right relationship. And so man, you and me, all of us, we were created to be in right relationship with God. And in fact, man was created in right relationship with God. And we see this in the Garden of Eden. So there's Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve, they are in right relationship with God. Okay, they're able to commune with Him, they're able to fellowship with Him, communicate with Him, talk with Him freely, and and able to obey His commands. But what happened was, man... uh, no longer wanted to worship God, but to be God. Man, namely Adam, but also you and me, we said, hey, we don't want to do what you have asked us to do. We want to do what we want to do when we want to do it. And so sin enters the world, Genesis 3, rebellion happens, and then shame and guilt enters the world, and all of these consequences from sin, also death enters the world, And we see in Genesis 3, the first sacrifice. As Adam and Eve run from God and hide their face from God, and they cover themselves with fig leaves, then you you see there in in Genesis 3, 21, I think it is, then, then God kills an animal and covers them with its skin. And it's the first sacrifice that we see in the Scriptures, the first death that we see in the Scriptures. Okay, and then this begins... A lineage of these sacrifices, a legacy of these sacrifices that would go on for years and years, thousands of years, right? And so then Moses and Aaron comes on the scene and then in Leviticus 16, God gives us really specific instruction on what this sacrifice is to look like. See, that in the garden, because of sin, caused a dead sacrifice. And then Aaron comes on the scene as the high priest and God says, this is exactly what I want you to do to cover the sins of the people. And he gives them this very specific instruction, you're to take a bull and you to slaughter it for your own sins so that you can enter into this place and you take the two goats right and one you confess the the sins of the people on its head and you release it to die in the wilderness and then you take the other one and you slaughter it and you take its blood and you splash it in this glorious but grotesque scene all because people sin it's known as the day of atonement Yom yom kippur our jewish friends recently celebrated that And that went on and on and on. See those goats, that bull, that was a dead sacrifice. I'll read it to you, Leviticus 16, verse 14. He is to take some of the bull's blood, this is Aaron, and with his finger sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover. Then he shall sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times before the atonement cover. He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering of the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. These goats, this bull, these were dead sacrifices so that people could pursue a right relationship with God. And this goes on and on and on in pursuit of a right relationship with God until God says enough and God, a loving God, a God who is crazy about you, crazy about me, says, hey, I'm going to become a man in the form of Jesus Christ, live a sinless life to be a perfect sin offering, die an eternal death because I'm an eternal God. And so then we see Jesus, right, in this grotesque picture, we see our God hanging as a corpse on a cross. That's a dead sacrifice. But then something happens. God raises him from the dead. God says, no, he lives. 
And he says, not only that he lives, he says, he's going to live with you and he's going to live with me. And he's going to influence us towards righteousness and holiness. And he's going to create something in us. And this is Hebrews chapter 10. And by that will, the will of God, we will have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. A dead sacrifice. But day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for all sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he awaits for his enemies to be made his footstool. Because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. That's you and me. And so now he influences us towards righteousness. This is what we've been covering in Romans, that he is putting to death the deeds of our flesh. Those things that you do when no one's looking or you're compelled to do or you want to do or that anger, that rage you feel, those things that you might tell your coworkers that identify you. I'm just an angry man. I'm a man who struggles with anger. I'm a man who struggles with lust. I'm a man who struggles with pride. Christ is putting to death those things, his spirit, and resurrecting the things that are consistent with his character in you and in me, making us living sacrifices. Okay, so now the sacrifices that God receives are living sacrifices, children adopted to him. Paul says it like this in Galatians 2. He says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So now we are living sacrifices. 1 Peter 2 says, being built up into his body as these living sacrifices. That's what I want to talk about for a brief moment this morning is just what it means to be living sacrifices. That's you and me out of Romans 12. And so we're going to look at where it starts what it looks like, and why it matters. And so Romans 12, chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, because God is merciful, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world. Do not go the way of co-workers. Do not go the way of your neighborhood, the way of the people, the way of America. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So number one, being a living sacrifice starts in our minds. Being a living sacrifice starts in our minds. Not conforming any longer to the patterns of this world, but renewing our mind. Paul says in Philippians 4, to set your mind on the good things, righteous things, noble things. Okay, Uh, To set your mind on the things above, he says. Renew your mind. Change your mind. And so here's the deal. What do you, as you came in here, what do you know to be true? I'm not asking, what have you always said is true? I'm not asking what truth did you grow up under. I'm asking what today are you certain of? What do you know is true? And then how is that truth transforming your world? How is that truth transforming your life? Because some of us, we've walked with Jesus for a long time. And it's become old and boring and stale. And in others, we've looked at Jesus for a long time. But it's never transformed who we are. We're still a guy in the world who knows about Jesus. So how is what we know 
transforming our lives, changing our lives, as our minds change, our world changes. And so our behavior will always follow our belief. We know that. We're not here as a church. We don't exist for behavior management. We, we never take the unrighteous and say, hey, you need to act righteous. We take the unrighteous and say, hey, you need to know a righteous God who will turn you righteous, who will change you and make you righteous, claim you righteous. When somebody's doing something foolish, so often we talk about their behavior, we need to talk about their belief. What do you believe is true about God? What would God want from you in this moment? Pagans will act like pagans, that's their job description. But Christians should act like Christ, that's our job description. Okay? Asking Christ, what would you have for me? What would you want me to do in this? And so this is essentially, this is our worship. Worship is not singing a song. We call that 30 minutes before the message. Worship, worship is not that. Worship is you, I mean that is worship, but that's a really, really small element of worship. Worship is you living in right relationship with God. Living according to his will. Being able to test and approve things, which is God's will. Walking in that, in that right relationship. Renewing of our minds and then changing our lives for him. That's why you live. That's why you're, you don't live for your grandkids. You don't, you don't live for even your bride. You don't live for your work, certainly not for your work. You live for God. To be in right relationship with God. To bring others to know God. It's why your heart beats in your chest. It's why you have breath in your lungs. So that you can know God and make him known. And this is why Todd ends every Sunday. Have a great week of worship lest we be deceived that what we did in this room simply is worship. It's what we do with our lives. This is what Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us. And so, second thing I want to look at is a living sacrifice is marked by love and humility. This is Romans 12, verses 3 through 13, or 3, all actually through half of uh, Romans 13. And so a living sacrifice is marked by love and humility, right? Love and humility. And so in John 13, Jesus says, they will know you are mine by the way you love. This is your uniform. This is your badge. In the same way that you would identify a police officer by what he is wearing, Jesus says, they will know you're mine. They will know you belong to me by the way you love. How you doing? Okay. He says, this is how they will see your mind by the way you love. You belong to me because how you love. Oh, that, that's one of Jesus' guys. That's one of Jesus' men. Not only by the way you love, but, but that might even be, come easier to us as men than the second one. By humility. In Philippians 2, Paul says, your attitude should be the same as Christ. Verse 7, who considered himself nothing, even though he was God. That we would humble ourselves, not, not constantly focused on our own ambitious tr- ambition, trying to, corp- trying to climb the corporate ladder, using our gifts for us to build our kingdom. But see, the scriptures tell you, specifically in Romans 12, that your gifts were given to you by God for God, for his church. So I think we take strengths finders, Myers-Briggs, disc test, find out if we're an otter, a lion, a beaver. Also, we go, God, what is it that you want me to do? Where should I work? God said, no, you missed it, man. I want you to work hard in those gifts. They're so that you can serve in my body. Where do you work? I don't know. It's how you work. Work hard so that others know me. And then use those gifts as a part of my body, building up the body. Philippians 2 says you are a living stone now, becoming the body of Christ, building up his church. Okay. 
And so we express love and humility in the church. Another place that we express love and humility is in public so that others would know God. We treat others well. Jesus says, you treat your neighbor as yourself. I love that. I know that Jesus knew how narcissistic we would be, how stuck on ourselves we would be. And so he doesn't say, hey, treat others really, really good. He says, no, you just love others like you love yourself and you'll be good to go. And so if you give yourself a home, consider giving others a home. If you give yourself food, consider giving others food. If you provide well for yourself, consider providing well for those around you. Love others as yourself. If you absorb the word of God and spend time with God, consider taking that which God has entrusted to you and entrust it to other men so that they would know him, that you would steward your lives not only for the sake of God but also for the sake of others so that they would know him with love and humility. And then he says, not just love and humility in public, but then he goes into Romans 13. I can't think of a better timing for this one. Love and humility in responding to authority, specifically submission to government. And so you might be frustrated with the results of the election, but you better pray for your president more than you complain. And I don't mean like twice as much as you complain. I mean like 10 times exponentially more than you complain. You better pray for your president more than you complain because all that has to happen for the nation to turn around, all that has to happen for God's people to return back to God, okay? And for some of those core agenda, those core items that we get so frustrated with, like sanctity of your life and sanctity of marriage, it's for the president to become a living sacrifice. Renew his mind around the things of the scriptures. That's all that has to happen. And we would see something amazing in our lifetime. I don't know why the American people have gone the way the American people have gone, but I assume it's either to bring destruction on ourselves, okay, and I don't mean just this election, by the way, I mean long-term cultural things, to bring condemnation and destruction on ourselves or to poise ourselves for a great awakening. And a great awakening starts with these men, ones that would get up at 6.30, taking the word of God for life transformation to change their lives and others around them. So they would live according to God, according to the scriptures. Proverbs 21.1 says, the king's heart is in the hands of the Lord. He directs it like a water course wherever he pleases, wherever he desires. So God is the God of kings. But you read this in Romans 12. And so let me just, I'm sorry, Romans 13. The authorities, this is Romans 13, 1b and 2. Uh, the authorities that exist have been established by God. Let me read it again, just, just so we're all clear on this topic. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Did God put Barack in office? That's a good little discussion question for your group. Okay, you guys go ahead and take that on this morning. I'm not going to go there, but you guys, you guys should talk about that. You're welcome, leaders. You're welcome. All right. So I think some of us, right, we need to repent for our Facebook messages and and our tweets. Not the ones that encourage with Scripture, not the ones that build up, but but when we slander those folks, right? Okay, and so don't get me wrong, right? We, We follow government, the authority that is over us, until it contradicts with our ultimate authority, the one who has given us life. Because he is our ultimate authority. But also we have to submit to the authority that God has placed over us. Unless what they ask us to do contradicts with what God has ultimately asked us to do. And we do that so that others would know more about our God. So that others would know our God and love our God. And so this matters because time is running out. This all matters because time is running out. This is Romans 13 verse 11. 
and do this understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And so our minds have changed. That which is in us has changed and it begins to change our appearance. The way that we look to the world is we put on the things of Jesus Christ. And so I'll tell you that, that I don't like to submit to anything. There's something rebellious in me. You kind of draw a line, I'm going to want to cross it. You put me in a fence, I'm going to jump over it. My guess is some of you can, can relate to that. Whatever's on the other side of the fence is, is always appealing to me. But I'll tell you. It's not how far I cross that line that's in question. It's how close I stay to Jesus. How close I stay into the right proximity, right relationship with God. I was just talking with a friend of mine. I just said, hey man, it's a, it's a week I'm struggling. I've got a couple speaking things and, and uh, you know, have a, a baby at home who's not sleeping all that well. And it's early. And I started in Leviticus, you know. Brother's struggling. I've got to stay in that right relationship with God. So I'm listening to him. So I'm one of his sheep that recognize his voice. Because that enemy will come. He'll sneak in through the side of that fence. And he'll tempt me. And when I'm not walking in right, right relationship with God, that will look appealing. In fact, when I didn't walk in right relationship with God, my, my life was marked by these things. I could go down that list. Orgies, oh yeah. Oh yeah, that happened. Okay, not just the three-dimensional kind, but, but most often the two-dimensional kind. Me at home by myself with my computer, that marked my life for a long, 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 long time when I wasn't in right relationship with Jesus. Okay, debauchery, that was just a goal. That was something we set out for on Thursday night. Okay, greed, absolutely. Fueled by jealousy, no question. Drunkenness, a fact every weekend. These were the things that existed when I wasn't in right relationship with God. Sexual immorality was simply a way of life. But there was death there. I tasted death there. And so what changed? I found something better in Jesus. I found something better in being in right relationship with God. And so now I desire to be his living sacrifice. That helicopter, I told you I had a few. The reality of it is I had to borrow that one <laughs> because I'm not very good at flying them. And so uh, I had one the other day, the one I was going to use for the illustration this morning. I had to borrow this one yesterday. And, and it, it was, I was flying it in the backyard and it came over this kind of area of, of, uh, of water. And so I sent it way up into the, into the sky. And when I did, it went beyond the controller's reach. Okay, then, the, then it just kept going and going and going and it ended up being somewhere in the neighborhood broken and, and I just thought, that's what happens. When I start running from God, when I want to climb over fences, when I want to go somewhere else, no longer do I want to obey his commands as he's authored in the scripture. No longer do I want to submit to him in the context of community, right? Uh, no longer do I want to listen to his spirit 
And maybe the worries of this world, I can't even hear his spirit to be influenced by his spirit, but I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it, and it looks like a tailspin of disaster. And sometimes it looks like things the world would affirm. Like a lot of them, I mean, you're doing pretty well for yourself. And they never know I'm not in right relationship with God. That might be the scariest kind. But that we would exist in right relationship with God, that we would stay near to Jesus, that we would be more attracted to God rather than what's on the other side of that fence, that we would be his living sacrifices. And so I just want to ask you this morning, where can you take ground on being his living sacrifice? Being a living sacrifice, is it in your mind? Is it in your family? Is it in your church? Is it in your job or your other areas of influence? Is it in submission to authority? I'm asking my friend Rob to come up and, and, and talk to us about community because the reason for that is is because um, as I think about how God has continued to take ground in my life and, and make me and, and those around me a living sacrifice for him, I can think of no greater way that he's worked other than the context of community. Other men around me who are submitted to his spirit so that when I'm faced with a, a decision, when I say, hey, what do I do? Then I'm like, I don't see it in the scripture really clearly. They can come around me. There's about 16 proverbs that say wisdom comes from the counsel of many. And they can say, hey, listen. Listen, they can collectively, this is our collective wisdom as we've searched the scriptures and as we've prayed for you, and we think that this is a, a way that you should consider going. Or, or this is some wisdom that we want to share with you to help you influence that, that we would be connected to a body like that. And so Rob's just going to come up and tell us how that, that can happen for all of us. And, and I, um, I'm praying for you guys. Rob, would you close us out in prayer, actually, yeah, as absolutely. we go to our groups? Morning, Thanks. I'm Rob Berry. I'm on the Married Community team, and uh, we are passionate about community. Uh, one, just because of what JP said, most of our lives, has God has used people as uh, the scriptures talk about, iron sharpens iron, some way sharpens another. We have been sharpened by men and families. So we're passionate about that. And we're also passionate about community because God is. You know, God has eternally existed as one God. It's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And, and just as JP said, you know, that, that there was a time when Adam was in a right relationship with God. He was in the garden where no sin existed. You know, our church would kind of look at that and go, that is a nonstop quiet time when Adam walked with God and God still looks at Adam when everything is right and he just goes, it is not good for man to be alone. And that's what we see all through the scriptures. In Ecclesiastes, you know, it says, you know, two are better than one for they have a good return for the labor. You know, if one falls down, his friend can pick him up. You know, if how can two, how, how can a guy keep warm in bed? You know, if two's there, you keep warm. If there's a, an attacker, two people can resist an attacker, but one's going to get overrun. You know, it says a cord of three strands is not easily broken. God is passionate about community because he's lived in an, an eternal community and you were never created to live in isolation. And so we pick up in Romans 12 where it just says things like, be devoted to one another. And so our job is to help you do communal life better. It's to serve you. That's our whole job is to serve you in relationship to how do you walk alongside others. And so, so JP's been running with some families for a long time. You know, I've been running with families here. And, and I need guys, back to Romans 12, who have the gift of mercy. If you know me, I'm my, that's my wife, right? I need people that look like Jesus in the way that God has given them the gift of mercy, right? I need to be around people who have the gift of giving 
because they look like Jesus in the way they give. I need to be around people with the gift of leadership because they look like Jesus in the way they live and the way they lead. And so we want to help you move out of isolation and surround yourself with people because that's where God wants you. And so we've got a couple events coming up. If you're single, we've got an event this Sunday night from 7 to 9 in the loft. If you have a kid and you're single, we have child care. You've got to register for that today. And both of these events are essentially, if you are a, maybe a family, a married couple, or a single person, and you are wanting to get in community, you can come to this event. Or if you are in an existing group and you're looking to add someone into your group, bring your whole group up here and uh, meet some other people who are looking to get in community. So singles, this Sunday night, 7 to 9. If you are married, uh, we have an event next Friday night from 6.30 to 8.30. Child care, which is like the greatest thing here closes on the 13th. So if you're a married couple looking to get in community, meet other people um, next Friday night, 6.30, So God bless you. Um, let me pray for us. Father, thank you just for your provision of your word. Thank you for your provision of your people. Thank you for your provision of your spirit, which is pushing us towards you. And thank you for your provision of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection on the cross, which makes us right with you. Pray that we would, you'd be on the throne of our life today, that when there's a way that seems right to man, that ends in death, Father, that you would be our master, our Lord, and on the throne of our life. In Jesus' name, amen.